Due to the graphic nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. This podcast may contain, but is not limited to, strong language, sexual content, violence, and death. This podcast may not be suitable for listeners under 18. Hi, I'm Christina. And I'm Crystal. Welcome Welcome to Crime Crime Night. Tonight's episode is about Irene Garza. Irene's case is said to be the oldest cold case ever solved, and it only took them 57 years, 7 months, and 22 days to solve the case. Irene Garza was born November 16th of 1934 in McAllen, Texas. McAllen is located in the South Texas border region known as the Rio Grande Valley, and in 1934 had a population between 9 to 11,000. Today, the population is actually over 140,000, so a lot of a lot of growth. So Irene's parents uh, were owners of a dry cleaning business in McAllen, and Irene was a local beauty queen. Although she did describe herself as shy, she was still very well known within the town and the beauty queen area, and she was fancied by a lot of the young men. Mm-hmm. She was a very pretty girl. Yes, she was from her picture. Mm-hmm. She was very, very pretty. gorgeous. Yeah. And she was actually crowned Miss All South Texas Sweetheart in 1958. And she was also the homecoming queen at Pan American College. And Irene, after having graduated, she was a second grade teacher. And she was actually gaining confidence as the secretary of her parent teacher association. So she was doing very well in her Mm -hmm. career Mm -hmm. and very, she seemed very involved. Yeah, she seemed like she was starting to just come out of her shell. Yeah, like she was kind of really, you know, starting her adult life yeah getting involved in the community Mm -hmm. and the in the school that she was working at yes yeah and she was also very involved in her catholic faith so she attended church faithfully and she was actually a member of the legion of mary which from what we found was is like a volunteer program through the church there yeah and it's sanctioned through the church so it's it's kind of an honor if you're in the catholic religion to actually be a part of this group yeah so she seemed to be just like very you know involved in her teaching and her her religion and those seemed to be like those the things that were important to her Mm -hmm. on april 16th of 1960 shortly before midnight mass the 25 year old irene garza borrowed her parents car to attend a confession as the next day was going to be easter sunday and she had still lived with her parents which was common you know back then for people to live with your parents until you get married especially like women yes yes kind of like women didn't tend to live on their own as much as they do today Mm -hmm. it seems like yeah while irene hadn't returned in the early morning her father actually filed a police report so i mean if you're doing like a midnight mass kind of a thing you know you could get over one o'clock two o'clock yeah i think that in the articles it did say that they kind of just assumed that she went to the midnight mass and she was already at the church and she you know enjoyed going to mass so right right they kind of just like assume so that, she went. that she did yeah yeah and then when she didn't come home after that that's when they started getting worried mm. so volunteers immediately began to form a search party so you know she was very well liked within the community and being that she was a school teacher i'm sure that there was a lot of 
parents that wanted to be involved and to try to find her too. Yeah, so she was very involved in the community. So mm -hmm. it makes sense that a lot of people would be wanting to help find her. Mm -hmm. Now, over the next few days, Irene's left shoe and her purse were actually recovered. So now they're starting to find like signs items, of her. Yeah, mm -hmm. items of hers that now at this point doesn't look well. You know, mm -hmm. when they're finding things that belong to her and they're not with her. Yeah. On April 21st, Irene's body was actually found in a canal. Now, Irene had been missing her shoes and her underwear, and her blouse was actually unbuttoned, and an autopsy indicated that Irene had been beaten and raped before being suffocated. So, unfortunately, all of the physical evidence had been actually washed away from her being in that canal. The canal Irene was found in was actually drained shortly after she had been found, and in the canal, there was a candelabra that belonged to the Sacred Heart Catholic Church, which is the church that she actually attended. So that's where she had went for confession, and that was her, her hometown church. They actually also found a slide photo viewer, and later on that was determined to belong to one of the priests that was at the church. Um, his name was Father Fights. And he was actually a visiting priest that was actually helping them out during this time frame. So he wasn't like stationed there, but he was there living there and helping for some amount of time. Yeah. And that seems to be common, like with in churches, like they'll have like move the priest mm -hmm. around if like maybe somebody retired or they needed extra help at a specific church, they'll move the priests around when needed. Yeah, and he was young, so he was just starting out. So I think that they kind of moved them around a little bit more to get the um, mentorship from other yeah, priests to learn how to run their own church. Yeah, mm -hmm. run their do their services and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So around 500 people in multiple cities were actually questioned about Irene's disappearance and murder. So the law enforcement questioned Irene's family, friends, co-workers, her ex-boyfriends, and any of the known sex offenders that had actually lived within the area. Yeah, so since they found that she was likely sexually abused mm -hmm. before her death, that it could have been, you know, somebody who already had a record. Mm -hmm. Yep. Who was so, known to do that because that would, you know, make sense. Right. So mm -hmm. might as well start with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nearly 50 polygraphs were performed and a $2,500 reward was actually offered. A businessman from South Texas later posted a $10,000 reward. That was a lot of money back then. Now, Father Fights at the Sacred Heart Church was actually the last person known to have been with Irene before her death. Some church members remember Father Fight's confession line moving rather slowly and he was leaving the sanctuary when the confessions were almost done that night of Irene's disappearance. Yeah, so it seems that people saw him like coming in and out of the sanctuary yeah. instead of like being in his booth. Yeah, yeah. So which I, I don't know if I don't know how it runs for priests. I don't know if they have a certain amount of time that they do the confessions for and they switch up or if they just do it the whole night or... I and I'm mean, sure they like take could take bathroom breaks and whatnot, I would yeah. imagine. So I just, I think people noticed it because it was more excessive than typical. Yeah, I, yeah that I think would draw my attention too is kind of being more 
distracting, especially if there was a line and it was moving rather slowly. Yeah. You know, pe people get impatient. I think they're going to notice things like that. Yeah, people in that alert. line are probably noticing, like, oh, he's gone again. Like, Where how, is he like, keep is, going? Yeah, is he coming back? <laughs> what? Yep. So the fellow priests also noticed that there were some scratches on Father's fights, like hands, after the midnight mass. So that they didn't notice them before. They noticed them after the midnight mass. Mm -hmm. So after um, the confession happened, mm -hmm. then the midnight mass, and then they noticed, oh, he had scratches. Yeah. Yeah, they probably just made note of it. And were like, okay. Probably didn't think too much no. of it. Mm -mm. So after initially denying it, Father Fight admitted that he had took Irene's confession in the church rectory instead of the sanctuary, which was reported to have been out of the ordinary for him. So that does seem kind of weird that because I know they have, they have the confessional booth where they usually go in. Yeah, and, you don't and then see it's like each other split kind of in half, so like yeah. you don't see the priest. It's just kind of there behind. Like yeah, so if you're going into the rectory, it's all face open, face to face, and right. open, and I don't know. That just seems like a strange place to take someone's confession rather than in the booth. Right. And how much? How much could she have had to confess? I mean, she went to confession all the time. She went to church daily. I mean, she was a model person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, what did she have to confess that was so serious that it had to be moved into the rectory? I don't know. Father Fight had said that he had left the church after breaking his glasses in order to retrieve another pair from the pastoral house. So, that would have been why he was in and out of the sanctuary frequently. Mm-hmm. Now, he said that the scratches that he had were actually from having to climb to the second floor of a brick house after he had conveniently forgotten his keys. Despite Father Fights looking suspicious, there was no solid evidence to determine if he had killed Irene. I mean, there was nothing that... I mean, he looks very suspicious, but there was nothing, like, solid. Right. As I the, mean... The canal um, washed away, like, any yeah evidence that would have been found, so they didn't really have any, like, solid evidence other than, like, the these items that belong to you are suspiciously with the body. Which anybody could have took them from the church, let's be honest. I mean, people don't... I mean, if you lay something down, you don't think, oh, somebody's going to steal this, especially yeah. back in that time frame. Yeah. So if he would have had his little slide finder, that he could, somebody could have picked that up. Yeah, and this was... So they were doing, you know, a lot of confessions. So anybody could... that Like, people were in and out of the church yeah. all night with the confession. And then the mass, the midnight mass. So it... Anybody could have gotten their hands on anything uh, from in the church at, sure. that night, probably. For sure. And then him breaking his glasses. Now, I know he had mentioned that in in some of the articles I read that he would play with his glasses while he listened to the confessions, which is a nervous, nervous habit. So, yeah. I mean, a lot of people or do that. Or even boredom. because they don't really have anything else to do but oh, listen could to you people's stories. That? I wonder if they ever got a good story from somebody. Oh, I'm sure they get some interesting <laughs> ones. stuff. Father Fight was actually born John Bernard Fight, and he was actually born on November 24th of 1932 in Chicago, Illinois. Now, John actually had two brothers, and he was raised in a German Catholic um, setting and he, he came from like a middle-class family from the south side of Chicago. So I would imagine he had you know fairly normal household with probably mm -hmm. more of a religious yeah. approach to life. Left to life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now on September 8th of 1958 John became an ordained Catholic priest which included a vow of celibacy. On March 23rd of 1960 
a 20 year old woman by the name of Maria Gra was actually sexually assaulted while kneeling at the communion rail in a Catholic church in Edinburgh. So this was at a different church than Irene was last seen at. And Maria had actually fought back and bit the finger of her attacker, which actually allowed her to escape. She did report this to the police. However, she didn't know who her attacker was at the time. So they were just looking for, you know, the description of the person. So they didn't have like a name or anything. And it wasn't until Maria had heard about Irene's murder that she realized that the person that had attacked her was actually Father Fight. Which he actually came up behind her while she was kneeling in the church pews. So she probably wouldn't have really seen him coming up behind her. Yes, and this was also not a church that he was stationed at, so she wouldn't, if she was even a regular at the church, she she wouldn't wouldn't have known known him either. Right. So, and I don't know about today, but it seems like back in the day, it seemed like churches where, like, anybody could kind of go in there at any point and Mm -hmm. just kind of, like, pray or, you know, do whatever. They weren't as secure. Yeah. So people could kind of go in and out whenever. I'm not sure how it is anymore but I know like some of the bigger churches when I was younger like in my 20s and stuff like that I do remember some of the bigger churches would have that open door policy I don't know about the smaller ones um, but I know some of the larger ones did have that where you can go in and light the candles and pray and different things like that yeah yeah so in May of 1960 Maria was able to actually pick father fight out of a lineup and Father Fight actually did admit that he was visiting a priest at that church on the day of Maria's attack. But Very he, convenient, huh? Yes, and then he did deny that he was the one who assaulted her. And actually in August, he was indicted for assault with intent to rape for Maria's attack. However, the trial unfortunately ended in a hung jury. But in 1962, two years later, Father Fight pled no contest to a misdemeanor charge of aggravated assault for which he only got a fine of $500. So he was eventually convicted for Maria's attack. So this was kind of something that was very similar to what likely happened to Irene. Right. So that just kind of made him even more suspicious knowing that he did attacked this other woman in a church. And he got off with a $500 fine. That's pretty much like a slap on the wrist. So in 1963, Father Fight was actually sent to a monastery in Missouri, and they sent him there to become a monk. And I think they kind of sent him there because he was clearly had issues. <laughs> so they're like, so they, this was like the church's way of kind of fixing that and redirecting his issues. Into, Trying to reprogram him. Yeah, into a more healthy... Mm-hmm way to deal with it yes like basically like therapy but the religious version yeah while there he was actually counseled by a monk named dale teshney now father fight did not like the monastic lifestyle and continued as a priest until 1972 when he left the priesthood and he actually got married to a woman that he met at a church and they actually did go on to have children as well so he did end up having kids of his own So in 2002, Dale and Father Joseph O'Brien, the assistant pastor at the Sacred Heart Church where he was at during Irene's attack, attack, Mm -hmm. um, told authorities that John had admitted to Irene's death. So he admitted to 
committing this crime. Dale initially did not go to the police and he believed that it was not his job to judge Father Fight. However, in 2002, he had a change of heart. When it initially happened and he was told about that, he kind of like was like, oh, we could like make you a better person, mm -hmm. you know, but he didn't think about like how the family was going to be affected by it. He just thought about, oh, we got to fix him mm -hmm. and protect society and not that oh the family didn't get any justice from that and it was later when he saw you know the family and realized that they're experiencing hardship because they don't know what happened to their daughter right they want closure everybody's uh -huh. family wants closure i yeah. think everybody needs closure and that's something he on. just didn't think of because well, he was you know kind of away in the monastery and whatnot so I, it's not something he was really i guess exposed to probably and he had a different mindset so you have this this priest that has committed some offenses and so now they're sending him away to help him to get better. get better mm -hmm. and i know he had moved around to different um monasteries and just different facilities, facilities. yeah mm -hmm. to try to help him get better um in all actuality it it didn't work because he he did you know leave the priesthood yeah but so, he seemed to not do commit any more murders that we know that of. we know of after that and it, i mean they moved him around to different several different states so mm -hmm. you just you never know you never know what he did i mean it doesn't seem like he did anything but so, you just there's know. not been nothing no tied proof. to him since. correct also in 2002 the texas ranger cold case unit actually reopened the case and this was by the request of the Mc Allen's police department so they requested for them to reopen this case yeah, to after try to hearing the yeah you know that to try to get him pinned down more evidence you know someone came forward saying that oh this person admitted to it so now they have more to build on at mm -hmm. trial yep the original district attorney decided not to put Irene's case before the grand jury however pressure from their parents did result in the DA taking the case to a grand jury in 2004. So the trial was criticized as John Fight, Joseph O'Brien, and Dale Tanchi were not actually subpoenaed in the grand jury, did not indict John at this time. So people criticized that they didn't use all the evidence that they could have in front of the grand jury to say mm -hmm. whether this case could go to trial or not right. kind of thing. Right. So they just kind of put it in front of them and of course they're going to be like eh, i don't know about that yeah there wasn't anything solid that right. the grand jury was presented it seemed like in 2014 the new da um he actually vowed to bring justice to irene now irene's death investigation was actually reopened again in 2015 and john was arrested in february of 2016 for her murder in 2017, the then 88-year-old Dale Toshney testified against Fight in a closed deposition. Father O'Brien did not testify as he did die in 2005. So he was no longer around to be able to do a deposition for this trial. John Fight trial lasted one week and he was found guilty on December 7th of 2017. The defense asked for probation and the 
prosecution actually asked for 57 years. That that was as long as how many years it had been since Irene had been killed. So one year for one year. Is yeah, so one year for every year he had not been in, in prison. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the 85-year-old was sentenced to life. However, he had only served two years as he had died in February of 2020. So pretty recently he just passed yeah. away. So it's kind of shitty that he only ended up serving two years for this murder and you know for a woman he killed who had her whole life ahead of mm-hmm. him and in the after he killed her he got to go on to have hit a full life get married have kids and yeah something she was never able to do yeah she i'm sure had plenty of plans for her future and she never got to realize those and he got to go on after killing her and do everything that she was unable to do yeah so can you imagine the family yeah that, how bad they felt knowing, i know that would be knowing dating's family knowing that she, he got to do everything she couldn't because he took her life and they had all the information when she was killed i mean they had it they had him yes but they didn't have the dale the monk yes to testify so i think that was also a big help in him going to jail yeah yeah. as well so i think that is kind of like was the big key in solving this and so it just goes to show you that it just takes one person to come forward to solve a crime Mm -hmm. that is old yeah you know it really shows that and it also shows that you know you have to be careful even if somebody is like a priest or a teacher or somebody that you would see as a trusted person, police officer or whoever, there's plenty of cases where people either impersonate these people or they're just a bad apple and they go on to use their trust, well, use their trust from the community to commit these crimes. Thank you for listening to Crime Night. We release new episodes every other Wednesday at 6 p.m. Central. You can find a link to our sources in the episode description. You can find us on Facebook and YouTube under Crime Night Podcast. Good Good night. night!